I don't know what the origin of the problems are. I'm still trying to figure that out. But I don't feel like a lot of people around him have had his back. He's only 19 and that can be hard. The people around you that are supposed to support you that aren't supporting you, that's hard. You are locked on fantasy basketball. Your daily podcast on fantasy basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore B-Ball. A little bit of a lighter day in terms of the podcast today. There's only six games from Monday to talk about. There's six games for Tuesday to preview. We're going to use that player spotlight and shine it over on a new member of the Utah Jazz and that is... Royce O'Neill. So, Michael Bolton. Let's get to it. To it. If you are watching this on YouTube, you will notice a new introduction to the show. So, shout out to Michael Edelman, who I produced that animation for me to begin the show. Big thanks uh, to you, Michael, for your great and very speedy work in getting that uh, opening title sequence animated for me. Uh, I'm still going to work out my, the kinks in terms of me actually producing the show and the video and getting it all timed right, but I uh, enjoy how it looks, and I hope you guys do like the work that Michael put into to doing that new intro screen for the show. Let's get stuck straight into the action from Monday, the first of four days of games this week. The monstrous line of the night, of course, it goes to none other than Anthony Davis of the New Orleans Pelicans. Davo had 38 and 10. He hit three triples, an assist, a steal, two blocks, 14 and of 24 from the field, and hit all seven of his free throws. He's the fifth-ranked player for the season. He's the second-ranked player over the last two weeks. Sons, DeMarcus Cousins, averaging 31 and 11 with almost two triples, over two steals, and 2.3 blocks. The efficiency's dipped from Davis recently. He's a 54% shooter for the season, 57 over the last seven games, 48 over the last month of action. And even in those last seven games, while he's shooting uh, 47%, so down from the field, he's actually got his three-point percentage at 41% over that time. So his two-pointers have fallen off, I guess, with that little bit of extra attention that's coming his way with Cousins out. He has taken 59 shots in the last two games, Davis. He has put up 82 points in those two games, 27 rebounds, 7 steals, and 5 blocks. An absolutely ludicrous uh, bunch of performances from Davis in those last couple of games. Uh, I think he's got a real chance to uh, to finish this season as a top two or top three guy from here on out. Continually putting up... Well, his numbers for the year was it 27 and 11, two and a half assists, two blocks, 1.3 steals. Playing a little bit more center, maybe he can get those blocks up to 2.3 or 2.4, and hopefully he gets that efficiency back. Um, we, we, we're still always going to have that marginal worry, I guess, with his injury. You know that I'm much less worried about that than what uh, many others are. I think he's got a chance to exceed 75 games this season, and that's going to be a, a real huge result, along with big minutes played for Tone Davis, a big performance from him. The waiver wire line of the night goes to Mario Hazonia of the Orlando Magic, 24-6 and six for Hazonia, three triples, four steals, 
three blocks, eight of 14 from the field and five of six from the free throw line. He has been killing it with Aaron Gordon out, the 66th ranked player over the last month. And that performance is really hard to ignore. You do have to look, should I be adding Mario Hazonia? And while Gordon is out, absolutely you own uh, Mario Hazonia. He's putting up these numbers. He's shooting the ball efficiently. He was a, a piss poor shooter last year, true shooting of 45%. He's up at 57 this year. He's at 65% over the last eight games, averaging 16 and a half and five, two and a half triples, two steals, 0.8 blocks yeah, with that huge shooting percentage, 49% on threes there as well. In those last two weeks, he's a top 30 player. That's how um, how well he's been playing. The you know, common refrain I'm hearing is he a must-own guy. Can he, or the, sorry, and at the moment, yes. But when Gordon comes back, and to a lesser extent when uh, Nick Vucevic comes back, it's going to have an impact on what Hazonia can do. And the most common question I'm getting at the moment is, is this level of production, is this level of uh, playing time sustainable for Hazonia? And you have to think the answer is no. He's playing the majority of his time at power forward. Three-quarter of his minutes are coming at the four, and Aaron Gordon is going to get the bulk of those minutes. Now, he's clearly going to be the primary backup. You're not going to get any Mo Spates minutes playing at the four. You're probably not going to get any Ken Birch minutes playing at the four. Hazonia can also play at the three, so he'll take those minutes behind John Simmons. You know, he can take all of Wesawundu's minutes. He, he, could, he could easily do that. Um, but then you've got Terrence Ross that's going to return at some point. So can he maintain this level of playing time? I'd have to say that the answer is no. He can't be approaching 30 minutes a night. We saw Gordon go out earlier this season. Hazonia put up big numbers. Gordon came back and he went back to 20 minutes, 18 minutes, 19 minutes per game. Numbers which, of course, were nowhere near where he needed to be to be a must-own guy. He had this little run here at the end of December. He played 18, 12, 17 uh, minutes, and then Gordon got hurt, and then he, his minutes started rising again. Um, and then yeah, Gordon came back, and he played 18, 24, 13, 13 minutes, and then Gordon got hurt again, and he saw his minutes rise. So we're not expecting him to maintain this level of production, but as I said, you know, owning him... Also, remember that John Isaac is out as well. He's, he's another player who can come in and take some minutes away at the uh, power forward position whenever he ever comes back. So we're talking about you know, two guys in Gordon and Isaac, and Vooch is, a, I guess, a smaller part of it, that are impacting uh, what Hazonia can do in the future. In a normal situation for a team as bad as the Magic, you say, well, you know what? They, they'll give him these minutes down the run, maybe, down, this, down this stretch here. Maybe they'll reduce some of Vucevic. They'll play a little bit more Gordon at center um, so they can develop their young guy. But they, don't have, they have zero control over Hazonia next season. You think is not going to be pissed that they declined his team option? And even if they were willing to re-sign him, they can't pay him any more than what his fourth year of his rookie contract would have paid him in free agency because they declined that free agency. Uh, that uh, team option on his fourth season. So he, like a guy like Jaleel Okafor, like Rashad Vaughn, like Bryce Johnson, these guys are unrestricted free agents. They're not restricted free agents. So Hazonia is very likely not to be with Orlando next season and heading off uh, to another team. So there is very little, and the guy that and the guy that's in front of him at Powerford is Gordon, who is under team control, who is. Yeah, a guy that's uh, younger than what Hazonia is anyway. So it's not like they're going to just say, well, we don't want to see what Gordon can do. Let's uh, run Hazonia and try and re-sign him in unrestricted free agency. 
I love everything that Mario is doing. I'm a huge fan of what he's doing. Uh, it's it's in most cases it's never a great idea to decline a rookie option, and the Magic are seeing that now. To be fair, uh, Hazonia was shit house last season, but rookies in their first two years often are pretty piss poor, and it's the third and fourth year that they really take steps forward, and we're seeing that from Hazonia now. Uh, really interested to see what he can do next season on another team. Can he find himself a starting role? Maybe, but he does fit. I guess, prototypical new stretch fours, a undersized guy who can move, who can pass, who can shoot. Defensively, he still has some issues, but it's going to be an interesting free agency for Hazonia and really interesting to see how they manage those minutes in Orlando. I could be wrong. They could still give him 30 minutes a night. I just don't really see how that's going to happen for Mario, unfortunately. The young gun of the night is Benny Simmons of the Philadelphia 76ers. 13, 6, and 6, 4 steals and 3 blocks, narrowly, or not narrowly, I guess missing the 5 by 5 by a steal and 2 blocks, 6 of 8 from the field, 1 of 2 from the free throw line. Simmons remains the 26th ranked player in fantasy this season, averaging 16.5, 7.5, and 7.5 with 2 steals and a block on 53% shooting from the field. Still yet to attempt a single 3-point shot that wasn't a end-of-the-buzzer heave, I don't think he's ever going to to take one, to be honest. It just doesn't appear likely at this point that he's going to take a three, but he's still able to score efficiently and provide fantasy value for us. The free throw percentage is a problem, and you probably do need to be punting free throws, but Simmons has got comfortable top 20 upside for the rest of his career. Maybe he never gets to be a top 20 guy or top, sorry, a top 15 or top 12 guy because of the lack of free throws and the lack of three-pointers, but that potential 28 and 8 with two steals and a block combination, which he could offer at some point, is very, very tasty for fantasy. He looks good. And the shooting could come around at some point. That maybe he can be a guy that gives you .3 triples, Giannis Antetokounmpo style, although he's clearly a more hesitant shooter than what Yanni is out from deep. Another big uh, game from Simmons continues to put up the good numbers. The uh, Rookie of the Year battle is going to be very interesting. I'm still in the Simmons camp. He hasn't, hit, hasn't had a single-digit scoring game since he had six points against the Grizzlies uh, on the 22nd of January, so a big string there. Some uh, you know, multiple triple-doubles, some big assist games. He's had a, In his last four games, he has had 12 steals combined, and he has also had six blocks in his last four games. So putting up some very, very big numbers at the moment. Benny Simmons, he is your young gun of the night. The dud of the night. I tell a man's not hot. Yeah, he couldn't be less hot. Tim Hardaway Jr., 9 points, 2 rebounds, 3 assists with a steal, 4 of 16 from the field, that is putrid, missed one of his two free throw attempts. He is the 301st ranked player over the last two weeks because he is shooting 28% from the field and 16% from three. It means his scoring's down, his usage takes a bit of a hit because he's not quite as confident, but those percentages are just killers. And he's also not hitting his free throws, 64% in that time. He has, yeah, his first two games back uh, since starting when he, well, his first lot of games when he, since he came back from that injury, 16 points, 25 points, 16, 31, 17, 11, 15, and 15. And then in a game against the Celtics where they got smashed, he scored four points. Since then, he has gone over 40% from the field just once. He's had one double-digit scoring game that was the 17 points on 41% shooting against Indiana. And he has gone just with some horrendous, horrendous performances uh, from three or from the field in general. We saw it at the start of the season. We're seeing it again now. It will bounce back. He is a streaky shooter, so that is something that you have to live with. If he gets dropped, I am adding him in 12-team leagues. Maybe not in 10s. 
because he's not going to do much in many of the other areas, but this is just an absolutely horrendous cold streak that Tim Hardaway Jr. is currently going through. The question of the day, it comes from EC, who is on Twitter at Miami Eric with a K C. He says, if you had the number one seed locked up, is it fair to tank the last week of the fantasy regular season to get a better fantasy playoff matchup? I know that there is going to be very much uh, divided opinion on this uh, question. I think it's fine. I absolutely have no problem with you being in that position as the number one seed, having the um, luxury and the cushion to be able to tank what you're doing and dictate who you play against in the playoffs. Now, it might come back and bite you on the ass because that team that you end up you know, tanking to get into the playoffs might end up knocking you off in round one of the playoffs. But if you think it's a better matchup for you, I actually don't have any problem with it. You might say, oh, it's a bit ethically ambiguous. It's uh, not in the spirit of the game. And I can sort of understand those arguments. But I also don't have a problem with uh, with doing that, with, uh, with sitting your guys. It's like sitting your guy on a Sunday because you want to preserve turnovers or you want to preserve field goal percentage. There's And there's... 100% nothing wrong with doing that. That is as fair game as it gets. This is a little bit more gray area, but I am totally okay with it. If I'm in a league and someone's doing that and it affected me, I'd be like, oh, Jesus, like, that's a pain in the ass, but I wouldn't be like, start crying. Oh, he's a cheater. You've got to make him please, guys. I'd just be like, oh, well, you know what? Should have done better earlier in the season. Uh, what, what can you do? You're at the mercy of what this other person does. It's not doing something it's outside the rules unless your league does have rules where you do have to start a certain number of people, which is something that you can implement in, in many different league settings. But I don't have a problem with it, Eric. I don't have any issue with you going out there and um, and trying to manipulate the playoff seedings to your benefit. Uh, as long as there's no other benefit involved where someone goes, oh, I'll, give you, I'll give you 50 bucks or I'll, uh, I'll trade you one of my players if you sit down your guys this week in order to uh, you know, get me into the playoffs. If someone says that to you, that's a no-go to me. Doing it for your own team's benefit is totally fine. But if someone says to you, can you bench all your guys so that he loses uh, or so that, so that I win or, or whatever, and in exchange, I'll give you a, a Dutch rudder or I'll give you a, a box of cookies or I'll, I'll trade you Donovan Mitchell for Kent Bazemore. That is bullshit, and that shouldn't go on. Um, you can get your Dutch Rider for free if you want. But sitting it for your own benefit, for your own playoff seating, or, or your own playoff matchups, I don't uh, I don't have a problem with it. Again, I'd like to hear what you guys uh, what you guys think of that, and whether you uh, whether you do uh, agree or, or disagree, and how you uh, how you view that. So let me know on Twitter at RedRock underscore. Uh, underscore b-ball um, and let me know your opinion on uh, on how all that or what you think whether that is fair game or not the first well the first game of the day we're going to go into the box scores now and talk about the action it was the Knicks it was the Philadelphia 76ers some weird shit came out saying that the Knicks were going to be starting Ennis Cantor and Kylo Quinn at power forward and center with Michael Beasley moving to the bench. They're also going to be starting Courtney, uh, sorry, Lance Thomas over Courtney Lee and remain with Jarrett Jack in the starting lineup, which would have been the most nonsense, bullshit starting lineup you've seen. It would have been Jack, Hardaway, Thomas, O'Quinn, and Cantor. Absolutely made no sense. In the end, Michael Beasley did end up starting over Cock, but Lance Thomas did start over Courtney Lee, and Jarrett Jack continued to start. I don't understand so many things that Jeff Hornacek has done with his team. My name is Jeff. His mishandling of center rotations last season, the weird stuff that he's done this year, the complete 
insistence not to play Nilakina or have his minutes yo-yo. The fact that Jared Jack is out here playing at any point in this season is absolutely bafflingly ludicrous. You're getting smashed now. You're not winning games. You've got two point guards potentially of the future who you want to see what they can do and you don't start either of them. And even in today's game, you limit their minutes. It just is a is a very, very confusing situation. Now, talking about Manuel Moutier and Frankie Nilakina. Moutier, after double-doubling in his first game for the Knicks, played 19 minutes and had 7-4-2. This is the Moutier that we're used to from his time in Denver. And that's why, you know, yesterday, I think it was yesterday that they played, and I said, you know what, grab him, let's see how it goes. But I'm not having confidence he's going to go out and drop double-doubles every night. I didn't expect his minutes to go as low as they did, nor did I expect Nilakina to go from 30 minutes to 21 minutes. A weird situation when you've said, we're going to develop our young guys, we're going to play all our young guys. Now, unless Hornacek is just absolutely married to the All-Star break as some sort of arbitrary bullshit cutoff point, the fact that you did it in one game and then you go, oh, shit, not the All-Star break, I better go back and give Courtney Lee 30 minutes and play Jarrett Jack double the playing time he had in the other one so we can really limit what Moutier and Nilakina can do. If you're doing that just because it's not the All-Star break, then get out of here, Jeff. He's, he just he is a bad coach, and he is, the, he is the next one. After Kidd's gone, after Watson's gone, he's the next one in my, in my gun. He needs to go. He is a bad, bad coach. As for Lee... Moved to the bench, had 18 points, one of his best performances in recent memory, three triples in 30 minutes. I would not be owning Courtney Lee in 12-team leagues. I think the 20 minutes that he saw in the last game the Knicks played is more representative of what we're going to see from him moving forward, not this gunning 18-point efficient night in 30 bench minutes. Cantor had 17 and 13. Beasley had 22 and 5 in his 39 minutes, while Cock. Listed as a starter, went to back back to backup center, played only 12 minutes and had four and two. While Luke Cornett, another young guy you're trying to develop, played the last four minutes of the game in garbage time, did not see the rotation at all. So again, confusing, confusing messages coming out of the New York Knicks. On to the sixes, Tim McConnell, Timothy John, TJ, 10, 10, and 11 for a triple-double in 37 minutes, six steals. Point guards, man, they can go off against the Knicks. I think we talked about that yet. I'm pretty sure I mentioned McConnell's name in passing in the DFS section yesterday. Did not think he'd go off as much as this. Sharich had 24 with four triples and and, uh, four rebounds. A nice game from him. McConnell got some extra playing time with Justin Anderson hurting himself. That also got Timotei Lawawu Cabrero back into the rotation, although I don't think that'll stick. We didn't get Marco Ballinelli's uh, debut here. Joel Embiid picked up some early fouls, only played 24 minutes, 17 and 6. Um, yeah, that's that's fine. It's it's a subpar game for him, but still pretty solid. That meant that we got way more Amir Johnson, 25 minutes for Amir, 5 and 3. No Rashawn Holmes, because completely out of the rotation entirely in Philadelphia. Um, let's move on to the next game, the... New Orleans Pelicans and the Detroit Pistons, they made a change to their starting lineup as well. Rajon Rondo, who was benched for one game, he remained in the starting lineup, so I don't know what the point of that was. But they moved Nick Miritich out of the starting lineup so they could start in 2018 in an actual NBA game, Emeka Okafor. Now, it was coming on the heels of Kylo Quinn starting next to Ennis Cantor and Jarrett Jack remaining starting, and then the Pelicans put out that they're going to start Okafor uh, over Miritich. It was a very confusing start to the day in terms of it, the NBA. Now, I understand why Okafor was out there because it enabled uh, him to match up against Andre Drummond. Drummond still pulled down 21 rebounds, so it wasn't like it was effective in that respect, and he was still a minus five. 
but it enabled Davis to start the game off not playing at centre. And Miritich still got his minutes a little bit less than, than before. He played only 29 here, and Okafor played the fewest minutes out of the four big men that they used. So really not a huge disaster, although Okafor had literally played two games for this team and was in DNP CD in the game before. So a weird decision just in that respect. Shek Diallo continues to look good, four and five with two blocks for Diallo, a nice deeper league guy. Or Miritich, 21 and 12 with four triples and 29 minutes. As for Rondo, 30 minutes, 8, 5, and 8. I have absolutely, I think he is probably the player that I have the least idea about what his role is going to be on a night-to-night basis. He played like 44 minutes and had a 20-point triple-double in his last game. He played 30 here and had 8 points on 8 shots. And then two games before that, he played like 21 minutes. I don't know what his minutes are going to be day-to-day. If you need assist, hey, take a flyer. He does tend to play a little bit better without the two big men in there. We've seen that when Davis has been out, but since Cousins has been out, it hasn't really materialized until now. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what, what happens with him as we move forward. Darius Miller copped a cut in the head. He returned 12 points in 30 minutes, while DeAndre Liggins, six minutes for him before hurting his hip. Each one more also really in foul trouble, four fouls in 14 minutes. That's the reason for the low playing time. Well, Drew Holiday had 21, 3, and 12, two steals and a block, and his big year continues. The Pistons looked absolutely discombobulated. They looked like an, a mess. They weren't working at all on defense. Ishmith was putrid. Jameer Nelson was getting big minutes. The rotation was all over the place. Luke Kennard did not play at all in the first half. They had Nelson and Langston Galloway playing ahead of him, but then he played in the second half and had 5-3-3 three, and three in 12 minutes. This is a guy, Luke Kennard, by the way, who before the trade, Stan Van Gundy said, we are going to be playing him 25 to 28 minutes a night. Avery Bradley left, someone who played at Kennard's position. No one came into that spot and his minutes went down. So we can only base shit off what coaches say, but they talk out of their ass more than almost anyone in any sort of environment. They say shit that literally they do the exact opposite of, and I know they don't have to tell the truth to the media, but why say it at all? And especially like when your fan base wants to see this guy out there and you go, well, we're going to do this. We're going to give him an opportunity. And then you just play him fewer minutes and he still plays well. It's not like he has been bad. He has been very, very good. Obviously not as good as the guys picked ahead of him, but he has been very, very good. Luke Kennard. Blake Griffin was horribly inefficient. 21, 6, and 3. Shot six threes and only hit one of them. Um, There's still some nice numbers for Blakey. Well, Drummo had 13 and 21 with a steal on a block. Stan Johnson, I think Stan Johnson's not going to be a 35-minute guy anymore. He played just 28 here, had 10, 3, and 2 because Jim Ennis is now in the rotation. He played 12 minutes. And if Stan Johnson's not going to play 35, if he's going to be 28 again, and it's not like the two stands haven't headbutted at times, um, you know, saying that he's not like this big love child of Van Gundy. Hey, mate, uh, we're in the stand club. I'm going to play big minutes. I felt like he maybe he was doing that out of necessity, and now he's got another option. We're not going to see these big minutes from Stan, so he is definitely on the drop precipice. Jameer Nelson, 20 minutes. Yes, this is 2018. 12 points with five assists for Jameer. Running things, playing a lot of minutes. Um, yeah, deeper leagues, those assists are really nice. 16 team leagues, they can be valuable. While Langston Galloway was a DMP CD last game, and he back was back into the rotation in that first half ahead of Canard. Van Gundy just doesn't seem to know what he's doing with his team at the moment. He's all over the place. Ish Smith was shit. He's not a good player. I don't like Ish Smith as a player at all. And uh, I think we're starting to sort of see that come to fruition. 11 and 6 in 24 minutes for Ish. Reggie Jackson's you know, probably two, three weeks away from returning. 
there's someone else out there if you want to open up a streaming spot. I don't think that it's the worst thing to go and drop-ish. The LA Clippers and the Brooklyn Nets. Centers, Nets, always a feast. DeAndre Jordan, 16 and 17 with two blocks. The Rooster, 35 minutes for Gallinari, 16 and 5 with two blocks. Clear must-own guy and looks for a big season. And But one thing, again, another coaching weirdness thing. Milos Teodosic was back, so that meant that Austin Rivers started at point guard and I I think Rivers is a decent player. I am a pretty big defender of him. I think he's one of the toughest blokes in the league. Real tough guy. Um, you know, can can score, can do things. Also seems like a real irritating prick at times uh, as well. And the decisions of him, and you know, I, I've defended Doc occasionally about playing him because I think he's worthwhile. But there is no situation in the world where Austin Rivers should play 35 minutes and Lou Williams plays 30 and Milos Teodosic plays 16 and Avery Bradley plays 28. You're running four guards and Rivers, two games removed from a heel slash ankle slash Achilles issue. He is playing the most minutes out of everyone. It is nonsense. Um, it, it shouldn't happen. But if it's going to happen then Rivers' scoring ability can be useful in fantasy. As for Milos, I'd be happy to drop him if this is the bullshit that's going to go on. Austin Rivers also not a point guard, not a distributor, not a facilitator. Uh, so I don't really understand why we'd be getting him out there. Ty Wallace out of the rotation now as well. Toby Harris had 10 and 8, and Montrez Harrell, the table, had 15 points on 6 of 6 shooting, of course, in 12 minutes. The limited minutes there. Look, he's a nice deep league guy. He puts up good per minute numbers, but the, the minutes just aren't going to be there to really translate it. Outside of the questions about is Mario Hazonia going to be able to keep up these numbers moving forward, the second most questions I got was what's going on with Jarrett Allen's minutes? Only 18 minutes in this one. No foul trouble. He played well, 8-4-2 with a steal and two blocks. Well, much like the game against the Pelicans where Anthony Davis toasted him early, John Red Jordan had like six boards in about the first four minutes and was cooking him early, and Allen was not matching up well. Uh, Quincy, uh, I don't I don't understand at all the necessity to play 31 minutes of Quincy Acey and 12 minutes of Dante Cunningham, who are basically the same player, and that is a guy who'd be an average starter on a G League team. But they go out there and they compete hard, and, and Acey had three steals and a block here. If I own Allen, I'm not worried. I am... Oh, that's not true. I'd have a little bit of worry, but I'm not dropping him. I'm holding on. It was two matchups where he was toasted early, and that saw his minutes drop. I don't think he's just going to be getting 17 moving forward. Uh, Shout out to Jaleel Okafor, who in the last 77 minutes is a minus 70. He continues to be absolutely disgraceful as an NBA player, and if he doesn't sign with a team next season, I think he probably signs on a non-guaranteed camp deal and doesn't make a final roster. He is He's horrible, and 21% of people still own him in fantasy. I have no idea why that would be. Damari Carroll had 12 and 10, while Spencer Dinwiddie did not shoot well, but 13, 2 and 8, and another strong D'Angelo Russell game. These last two games from Russ would give you uh, a little bit of hope if you have held on to him 16, 2 and 5. You should absolutely be holding on. The Blue Swimmer, a really full line from Alan Crabb 15 and 6, two threes, two steals, one block. Nice numbers, worth a look. Go on at him, see how it goes. Don't have too high hopes for it continuing, though. The Orlando Magic. And the Chicago Bulls, the uh, the magic snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. 
Evan Fournier, 22-3-5, always in line for a big game against this Chicago team, while Johnny Simmons had 14-4-5 on uh, 16 field goal attempts. I really, he's absolutely someone to own now. I just don't see it persisting for the rest of the year. Bismack Biombo, another guy who I don't really rate at all. He played 21 minutes without Nick Vucevic back. He is absolutely fine to drop 10-4-2, while Ken Birch played 26 and had 4-8. and eight. Interesting to see how they find him minutes. Do they play him over Biombo? I'd have absolutely no problem if they did that once Vooch returns. DJ Augustin and Shelvin Mack. The first game when Alfred Payton was traded, it was Augustin who went off. The second game, it was Mack. The third game, they were both just horrible. 22 minutes for DJ, 5-2-3. 26 minutes for Mack, 5-3-6. With such uncertainty and... I I think we might see um, Alfred Payton play really well in Phoenix and the lack of confidence, the jerking around of roles and minutes, I think we might uh, be able to apportion some of that blame onto Frank Vogel because he's doing it again here. Just no consistency with what any of these guys do. I'd still own Augustine over Mac, but I'd maybe give him one more game in a 12-teamer to really sort this shit out because this uh, inconsistency is going to be a problem. Onto the Bulls, Zachy Levine, 18-7-5. That's pretty strong. The Bulls, again, have two players in their rotation who are veterans who are going to see reduced minutes. So, therefore, Justin Holiday played 35 and Robin Lopez played 26. And these players, that they're waiting for some bullshit, arbitrary all-star break. Chris Felizio, who was in the rotation when Nick Miritich got traded, has now been a DNP CD in three games. And and uh, and Paxson comes out. Oh, we're going to see. We're definitely going to see Payne. We're going to see. Uh, we're going to see Felicio. We're going to see Zipser in the rotation as we move forward. Well, play him now. What is the point of giving Robin Lopez twenty six minutes a game now when you've already said that in two games' time that's going to change? Felicio was in the rotation, and now you take him out. Chris, Chris can't play out because it's not the All Star break, mate. Once the All Star break ticks over, go at it. Do whatever you want. Just weird. Robin Lopez is going to be a droppable guy. Justin Holiday, again, the only other veteran player in this rotation, is going to see a lack of minutes. He's going to drop at some point. But Denzel the Hammer Valentine started, played well, plays 18 minutes so that Holiday can play 35. It's bullshit. David Nwaba, why is he down at 14 minutes? Now, Holiday has been solid this season, but there's absolutely no need to play him minutes like this. Punchbob, Shiploke had 19 and 7 in 26 minutes, three triples and three assists. Nice numbers, should be owned, while Lowry Markinen had 21 and 8. And Jaron Grant was solid, 14, 6 and 7 with a triple one. I think he's not even in the rotation after the All-Star break as they get give those minutes to Cameron Payne. But we will see. That's the, uh, that's the read that I've got up. But when these people say stuff, so many times it just doesn't come true. We will see whether that actually does come true, whether the Payne is in the rotation or not. The San Antonio Spurs and the Utah Jazz. The Spurs are without LaMarcus Aldridge for this game and for Tuesday's action. He'll be out until uh, the all Is he going to play in the All-Star? I didn't hear whether he will actually play in All-Star. He's going to be out up until then. Will he play there or will he uh, return after the break? We'll, uh, we'll have to see. That meant that Pau Gasol started. He played 33 minutes, 15-5-6 and six with a steal and two blocks. And I would be uh, 100% flawed if Pau Gasol plays in Denver on the second half of a back-to-back one game before the All-Star break. I would be stunned. Davis Bertans, 12-4, two triples, one steal, three blocks. He's becoming interesting. I'm adding him in 16s, and I'm probably looking in 14s. He's starting irrespective of Aldridge's injury, um, and he hits threes, he can score, but adding some other things, the steals and blocks, makes him an interesting guy to pay attention to.
Joffrey Laverne had 10 and 5 with 15 minutes. Could be a really good stream for Tuesday. Kyle Anderson, 16 and 5. And DeJounte Murray returned from his ankle and had 12, 4 and 4 in 29 minutes. While Pat Mills and Tone Parker were just horrible. Zero points for Millsy and 6 for Tone. Onto the Jazz, they have won their tenth straight. Jinglin Joe Ingles, I just on, on fire. I cannot believe what he's doing at the moment. He had a cold stretch around Christmas time, but he is crushing at the moment. Of course, he is a must-own guy. Twenty-seven and five, four triples in a steal, killing it at the moment. Yes, there is no ravishing Rick Rubio, so he's getting a little bit more playmaking. But with Rocket Rodney Hood gone, there's more opportunities to up his usage. The return of Rudy Gobert is making it easier, and he is thriving. Favors was great as well. Closed the game over Gobert because he was playing so well. 19-7 and seven with three blocks. Only 25 minutes, but played well in that time. While the Don had 25-7-5 with three steals. Shot horribly, 32%. That's uh, 28 attempts, 9 makes. But uh, those numbers, raw numbers are good. Gobert, 10-12 and 12 with two steals and two blocks. And Jay Crowder. Not not a bad 12-team. Let's see what happens. Looks more comfortable in Utah. 14-3 and three with three threes. And that's not a great line. But it's worth yeah, just adding and seeing how it goes. Alec Burks, someone told me, I don't know where it was. I think it was I'm sure it was on Twitter because that's a, that's a bastion of uh, intellectual conversation all the time. Especially when your tweets get retweeted and you find the people who don't follow you that come into your mentions, like the Derek Rose people who, again, are, have found their way into my mentions today. And it is an absolute joy to see the level of insanity that goes with that. Um, this this one, <laughs> I don't. I, I, let's tie it into Utah. Derek Derek Rose was waived by Utah. Hasn't signed anywhere, of course. Um, he's uh, you know, what other point guard? Derek Rose has played one quarter as the actual point guard. Apparently, according to this bloke, all season in the last two and a half years, he's only played one quarter as a point guard. He scored sixteen points in that quarter against the Wizards, and he shut John Wall down for the entire game. And Wall scored thirteen. Only two point guards in the entire NBA can do that, and that's Westbrook and Rose. So one quarter of good scoring from Rose then extrapolates to him being a top two point guard or being in that group with uh, with Westbrook. I also threw back to him then if uh, he's only played one quarter as a point guard then how does he get credit for shutting John Wall down for an entire game Uh, didn't get a response to that because logic is not something that follows these guys around too much but this is a big segue from someone who told me that Alec Burks was better than Rick Rubio and Rocket Rodney Hood. He played eight minutes here, Burksy, and he is struggling. Royce O'Neal, he is going to be the player spotlight today, so we'll talk about him a little bit later. The last game of the night, just brutal stuff. Again, Phoenix Suns, Lord Alfred Payton started out on fire, 29, 8-5, 61% shooting, hit two triples as well on four attempts. He looked really good, but this is a team without Devin Booker, and they're never going to go very far without Devin there. Joshy Jackson, eight points, 18 shot attempts. That is oh, atrocious. That is as poor shot selection as you can get. Um, Josh Gray, not too not too much better. 2 of 11 for 5 points in 17 minutes. I think Jackson is a 12-team borderline guy, but I think that when Booker does return, return, he's going to find it hard to get enough playing time to really be this guy that we did see step forward. Tyson Chandler was back, of course, immediately back into starting. 18 minutes, 8 and 9 for Chandler, but at least it was only 18 minutes. Dragon Bender at power forward. A player spotlighted him yesterday, talked about how in the past he'd been a really poor fantasy contributor, but it started to look a little bit more aggressive, but I didn't love him necessarily as a fantasy producer, and this is why. Three points, three rebounds in 30 minutes with a block. Started at power forward and should absolutely remain starting over Marquise Chris. 
but uh, not a good output. Chris only played the 18 minutes. I think he's pretty safe to drop in all standard leagues. On to the Warriors. Well, uh, they Steve Kerr let the Warriors coach themselves in this game. He The players took turns running the huddles, calling the timeouts, doing all that sort of stuff, which many people are seeing as a sign of disrespect to the Phoenix Suns. Jared Dudley came out and said that. But he also followed up by saying, if we're getting smashed by 40 points every night, maybe we don't deserve respect. And that's 100% accurate. If you're going to be as absolutely shitful as what the Suns have been this season and be smashed by 40 as regularly as they have been... Um, the Warriors can do whatever the hell they want. If they want to have the, the players coach and to give them ownership of the team and let them develop some skills and, and take responsibility and without taking the game seriously because they don't need to because that's how bad the Suns are, fine. I, I have no problem with Steve Kerr doing that. It's it's not it's not his um business to go out there and make sure the Suns players don't feel sad. And that's I always have that issue with, you know, running up the score, like stop me. Like, stop me. It's simple as that. It doesn't, um, it's a big thing over in, in American sports with, with basketball you know, and people with football. Why are you going for, you know, passes? Why are you, are you just taking knees at the end of game instead of running up the score? It happens a little bit more in college where teams do run up the score. It, it's, I've never actually noticed it in terms of that being an issue in, uh, in Australian sports. I've, I've never seen like times where, where players don't kick the ball or don't try and score at the end of games. Unless they're in a situation where they're trying to preserve a lead, but when the game's out of hand, they don't stop trying. They try and pile it on and embarrass the opponent as much as possible. And again, stop me if you don't want me to do it. Stop me. That's what. That's what. How I view it. Um. And again, if you don't want to be disrespected as an opponent, don't get your pants pulled down, your ass paddled as often as as the Phoenix Suns have for this season. Onto the Warriors' production. They didn't need to do too much. Steph had 22. Durant had 17. Omri Caspi started in place of Draymond, had 19 and 10. And he's been a guy that when he's got minutes this year, he's produced. And he did it again. Pat McCaw hurt his wrist. Only eight minutes for him, but very, very little changes from a fantasy point of view for this Warriors team, as we've seen basically the entire season. All right, I'm going to take a quick break. Then we're going to come back and we're going to talk Royce O'Neal for the player spotlight and do some DFS action for the six games we've got coming up on Tuesday. So I'll be back in a moment to uh, go through all of that. Are you still walking so softly After all of this time And whose heart could your heart be If in your heart isn't mine How do you jumble my head up While you are laying so still It's not that I don't want you hunting It's just I don't want you to kill Me when I mention this gently Though I'm sure you will when I do I'm just as hungry as ever But I'm still half as empty as you So how do you get me to thinking About what I'm sure is in store 
Should I love you a thousand more times? All right, guys, we're back. Let's uh, let's do that player spotlight now. We're looking at Royce O'Neal of the Utah Jazz, a player that many of you wouldn't have even heard of before this season. He signed with the Jazz. He played over in Europe last season for Gran Canaria over in Spain, which I believe, I should research this, I believe is the team that Andres Pesheksniks, a first-round pick, and I, sh- I definitely screwed that name up, first-round pick of the Philadelphia 76ers, where he played last season. O'Neal played his college ball at Baylor. His last season over in uh, in Europe, uh, playing for Herbalife Gran Canaria, he played at 22 minutes a game in the in the Euro Cup. Actually, let's look at his, his ACB stats, which is the Spanish League. 20 minutes a game, 7.5 points, um, shot 33% from three, had 0.7 steals, two assists, five rebounds. Nothing that stands out as looking particularly spectacular. A marginally above average PER of, you know, well, actually, no, below 14.6. Um, a marginal positive uh, net rating. Uh, true shooting of 52%. Like nothing about him suggests that he should be able to come over and command, command minutes in the NBA. But he has. He's played 14 minutes per game this year for the Jazz, averaging five and three, half a three, half a steal, and shooting with a true shooting of 56%, including 37% from three. But it's been the last two weeks that the interest in Royce O'Neal has peaked. In his last eight games, he's played 27 minutes per game, nine and five and a half, a three, two and a half assists, a steal, 55, 78, and 41 as he splits. And he is the reason that Alec Burks can't play in the rotation anymore. He's down to single digits because O'Neal is playing this well. He didn't do massive amounts in his start today. In fact, his last two starts in place of ravishing Rick Rubio, he has scored just 12 points. But he's had 14 rebounds. He's had six assists, two steals, and a block. Majority of those coming in the first half of that back-to-back against Portland. But he's been a key part of the rotation in this 10-game win streak that they've played. The last game that he missed was against Miami on the 7th of January. He's been in the rotation every night and played only under 10 minutes only once in that time, which was on the 19th of January against the Knicks. He's had a couple of big games. He had an 18-5-5 game against the Spurs. He's had an 11-7-6 game against the Wizards back in December, an 11-point game with three triples against the Nuggets. A couple, of, a double-double against the Hornets, an 11-10, and 10, which is on the back of a 10.4 rebound game in just 14 minutes. He has been impressive when he's been out there on the court and forced himself into a larger role. He is a 24-year-old unheralded rookie who's posting a positive defensive box, box score plus-minus and just a negative 0.16, so just a marginally below-average player, marginally below-average with his PER. His on-off numbers are through the roof. He is a plus 14, and that is why he has earned himself more minutes. But does this mean anything for him moving forward? Does not mean anything for him uh, as we look to his long-term fantasy value? Well, as I said, he's 24 and a half years of age. He's on a really good value contract, of course, at $800,000 for a couple of seasons. But where, where is his upside? Will he ever be a high usage guy? He's at 16% this season, so not bad. He's an above average rebounder, but he doesn't do much else that's really standing out to me going, you know what, at some point this guy is going to be a top 100 sort of a player. He's around average in most areas. And if he got 30 minutes a night, I could see him being 11 points, 1.23, six rebounds, three assists, 
one steal, 0.7 blocks, which is basically average in nearly all categories, which is extremely low upside, but solid enough for, say, 14-team leagues. How does everything look for Utah in terms of how their team looks on the wings? Well, we know that uh, Ravishing Rick Rubio still got time on his contract. Don Mitchell's a rookie. Jingle and Joe just signed his latest deal. Alec Burks could easily be gone. You'd have to think that O'Neal is in this rotation as a 15 to 20 minute night guy uh, role moving forward. Now, plenty of things can change in the NBA. I don't ever see him becoming a regular 30 minute starter. Maybe on a different team, he could become an Andre Robertson-y type of starter, a guy that plays 28 minutes and doesn't do much offensively. But he has impressed this year, but he's not someone where I look at him as a diamond in the rough fantasy-wise that in two years' time is going to blow up and become this uh, you know, multi-categorical contributor. He contributes in very small doses in those in those categories, and it's not something where we look at him and go, yeah, it's great value for him this season or great value for him in uh, in seasons to come. But the numbers recently, they've been okay a lot of that fueled by uh, some increased efficiency, where he's the 115th ranked guy in the last two weeks because he's shooting 55% from the field. So very little to see in most leagues. We're looking at probably 16-team leagues sort of a player, maybe even a bit deeper than that. But while Rude, Rude, <laughs> while Rubio is out, then uh, there's a little bit of something there. But it's unlikely to see him ever really becoming a staple in 10-team leagues. Um, but it's a great story and a huge part of what the Jazz are doing, a real intra- integral um, uh, rotational piece who is going to remain in that rotation for the rest of the season. Let's look at these perfect lineups now. From Monday on Fangio, Timothy John McConnell, 54.5, Lord Alfred, 42.1, Drew Holiday, 49.6, and the Don had 48.9. Uh, it's a me, Mario Hazonia had 51.2, Jingle and Joe had 36.9, Benny Simmons 47.2, Derek Favors 42.1, and Paul Gasol at 50. The total is 422.5, and that cost $58,300 on DraftKings. Drew had 49.25, the Don had 48.25, uh, it's a me, Mario had 46.5, Paul Gasol 49.75, DeAndre Jordan had 44.25, Timothy John had 54.5, Jingle and Joe had 39.25, and Lord Alfred had 45.5. That cost, actually, no, it didn't. It gave you 377.25 points, and it cost $48,800 dues. There are six games that are on the same that we had on um, on Monday. We've got another six-game slate, followed up by a 12-game Wednesday the first one of these six games is the Miami Heat and the Toronto Raptors. I've got my Heat uh, Miami Vice t-shirt on. Ken, I don't know if you can see it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push myself back from the mic. So it arrived today. I'm enjoying the sexiness of it. I'm going to push back and you can see it on the video. There we go. A very, very sexy t-shirt. I look forward to uh, for getting that out there. Actually, I actually got it out there in public today. Look forward for, uh, for that, making it into my regular rotation. The Heat take on the Raptors. Raptors favored by eight. The total is 206.5 points. The Jedi, OG Ananobi. Hello there. He is questionable with a sprained ankle. The injury doesn't appear serious, but there's a chance that he sits this one out. If he is out, Storm and Norman Powell will get those minutes, but not really going to be too much of a DFS guy. At point guard, Kyle Lowry. There's a chance that this one isn't a 20-point blowout, but at 7,600 against a team like the Heat, who's quite restrictive against opposition point guards, I'll probably sit out the Lowry situation. 
Uh, Tyler Johnson at 4,200. He had a strong game in the last one, Tyler, with Dragic in foul trouble. So don't look at that 35 minutes from Johnson or 35 points from Jono in 36 minutes and go, well, that's going to happen again because Dragic was in some significant foul trouble. So I think that Tyler's a fade guy. DeLon Wright at 44. Um, Freddie Van Vliet at 5,000. I don't see huge upside in those prices, while the iron shoulder, Goran Dragic, is at 7,000. The matchup is okay. He's done fairly well against the Raptors in the past. I don't hate using him. There are better point guards out there, but I think he's a, an okay option. At shooting guard, I love DeMar DeRozan here. 8,200 for DeMar. I think the game's closer. He does well against Miami. Uh, you know, Joshie Richardson can cause some problems for guys like DeRozan, but I think that he is a strong 40-point play here. The Jukes at 3,700. You know, tournament's only for him. While Dwayne Wade at 47, I wouldn't want to do anything with that. At small forward, Justice Winslow's at 37. Will he continue to start? Maybe. He is a upside guy with very little upside, meaning a player that I don't want to use. CJ Miles at 38. He dropped 36 in the last game. That's probably the last time that he is going to do that this season, so I'm not really interested in going back to that well. Well, Joshy Richardson at 6,000. 700. It's been putting up some strong numbers, but it's a it's a negative matchup. I think this is a fade type situation for Josh. At power forward, you've got Bam Adebayo for some reason. He's at 5,400. He had 54 the last time he played the Raptors, which is obviously a monster number. I don't feel comfortable about relying upon him for cash just because Whiteside could play 32, Whiteside could play 22. Kelly Olenek is out, so he is a really good GPP option here, Bam. I'm just not sure that he's quite the uh, quite the cash guy because you could get 12 or 13 minutes out of him and uh, or 12 or 13 points and that's not going to cut it. Ibaka at 5400's been nowhere near where you need him to be. Low upside, low floor, not interested. Siakam at 43, Jim Johnson at 43. Jimmy Johnson, man, he has made us whatever the opposite of proud is. Shameful. Uh, this season, he has not been good. After a little stretch early in the season, he has been piss poor. He can be dropped in standard leagues, and I don't want him in DFS. Jakob Pertl at 42 as a center, no. Hassan Whiteside at 76. Uh, it's too risky to use Whiteside, in my opinion. While Valanciunas at 71, I still can't get over the the risk of, of Jonas. I still think there's too much risk in using him at that hour. He's crushing it every game that he plays, but I still cannot bring myself to consider him a cash guy, especially at an elevated price like 7100 On DraftKings, I like DeRozan a lot at 81 I like the Iron Shoulder at 64 Both of those are cash and tournament sort of players. Lowry at 72 has a bit more appeal on DraftKings. Valanciunas at 6-1, I would I would maybe use that in cash. It's definitely, uh, definitely just uh, piquing the interest there. Uh, but not locking fully in. Well, Joshy Richardson at fifty-eight is a uh, is a GPP guy. Not not happy or not ready to uh, to fully lock in on Josh Richardson as a cash guy uh, just at the moment. Um, let's go to the next game. Who are who is the next game? We have got the Houston Rockets and the Minnesota Timberwolves. The Rockets are favored by two and a half. The total is two hundred and twenty-two. In fact, two for two, two, two. Ah, yes, it is. Thanks, Richie. Um, Joe Johnson, unlikely to make his Rockets debut. Brandon Wright has signed as well. He's not going to be a regular part of the rotation. Trevor Ariza has already been ruled out uh, for Houston. At point guard, Jeff Teague. My name is Jeff. He had a pretty solid game in the last one. I think that he's a, a, a 6,100. I think he's fine to get 30 points. 
absolutely okay with using him. Well, Chrissy Paul at 96, okay with using him as well. They both don't have you know, great options by the uh, uh, sorry matchups by the uh, by the metrics, but I still think that they're worth uh, worth throwing in there. Tyus Jones, no. At shooting guard, Wigo at 6,200. I know it's always a tough ride to use Andrew Wiggins in cash games, but he has been really consistent lately, and I think that he can be a 30-point sort of a player. He's probably more of a 28 to 29, but FanDuel's pricing is quite tight, so I think you're getting 29 to 32 out of Wigo is fine at that sort of salary that he's at. Eric Gordon at 47. I don't want anything to do with that. Jim Harden at 11.3. Smash all over it. Absolutely love that price for Jim. Uh, Jim Harden. At small forward, Jim Butler, 9,700 for Jimmy. He has struggled in the past against Houston. The matchup, though, really does work in his favor here. I think that he is absolutely okay to use. PJ Tucker, Nemanja Bielitsa, or Gerald Green. Maybe Gerald Green at 4,200, but I think that elevated price away from minimum uh, absorbs a lot of that value. At power forward, Taj Gibson's at 54. I think Taj is getting you 20 almost every single time. His lowest score in his last five is 21. So I think you should feel pretty comfortable with uh, throwing Taj out there for cash. Jang at 36, Ryan Anderson at 36, and Marmute at 43 are a trio of guys that you shouldn't use. At center, Carl Anthony Towns, 9,400. Get, get in there. He has played very well against the Rockets, averaging averaging 66 the last three times. I'm all about Townsy here, one of the best plays out there on the board. While Clint Capella at 83, uh, Capella's played well lately, no doubt about that, but I think that is a little bit too high, and I would not be interested in using Clint at that sort of a price. On DraftKings, stay really stackable here on DraftKings this game. For cash and tournaments, Taj at 53, Teague at 6,000, Butler at 93, Townsy at 92, Paul at 91, Jim at 11,000, Jim Harden. They are great numbers. While Wigo at 62 is more of a tournament guy, not really looking to look yeah, get him in in cash, but tons of value on DraftKings for this game in particular. Let's go on to the next game. We've got the Cavs. We've got the Thunder. No uh, update really on Carmelo Anthony and Russell Westbrook. They did participate in practice. It was a non-contact practice. They are both questionable for this game. Um, at point guard, we've got Georgie Hill at 4,800. Only played 21 minutes in that debut. I think he plays more here, and I do like George Hill. Probably lean more tournaments, but I think he plays more minutes and has a bigger role. Whereas uh, face Ray Felton at 5,000. If Westbrook's out, Felton at 5,000. Love it. Totally in on that. Um, as for Westbrook, 12-1. We don't know if he's going to play, but the matchup is as good as it gets against Cleveland, but that's Cleveland without George Hill at point guard, so that could be a little bit different. I wouldn't want to lock Russ in in cash just at this stage. At shooting guard, Rocket Rodney Hood's at 5,000. I think that is a fade. Uh, the plumber, J.R. Smith, not really interested. Alex Abrines, Jordan Clarkson. I just don't see the value in, in really any of those guys in, in this matchup. At small forward, LeBron James. LeBron James. 11-4. Yep, absolutely. Paul George at 10,000. I think that's probably too expensive for Paulie, uh, to be honest. It is a good matchup for Georgie, but and he's been playing well. I would I would consider George at ten thousand if Westbrook is out again, but we don't know that at this point. Chetty Osman at four thousand one hundred. If he gets or he's got the nod as the starter again at forty one hundred, fine. I'm happy to use him for cash. That's not a big enough price to turn me away. At uh, power forward, Larry Nance at forty six. Uh, disappointing debut, but can be better. Just be for tournaments. Mallow at sixty three. I, I don't care for. 
Uh, Jeff Green, Jeremy Grant, no interest. At center, Steve Adams, really in on him here. Love the matchup for him against Cleveland, 7,100, absolutely. Tristan Thompson, 45, very little interest in that salary. On DraftKings, LeBron's at 11.5 and Steve Adams at 6.8, a good cash and tournament, guys. Well, Westbrook at 11.4, if he plays, I love that for cash. If he plays, otherwise, we're just putting him into a tournament if we don't know the status. And Georgie Hill at 4.9 is in a really good spot over on DraftKings too. Paul George, maybe just a little bit too highly priced given the uh, the way things um, are going or in terms of Westbrook's status. He's at 9.9, so that's probably a little bit too high in that scenario. Atlanta and Milwaukee, Jabari Parker missed the last game due to a back-to-back. He should be back in action. The Muppet, John Henson, is already ruled out. At point guard, Dennis Schroeder, 7,600. The only one who's capable of really doing anything for this Hawks team, so I'm okay with getting him in there. While Eric Bledsoe at 7,900 could be a uh, crushing here. So I think that it's a little bit hard to use Bledsoe at that elevated price. You've got Malcolm Delaney. You've got Tyler Dorsey at 37. I'd be looking at Dorsey as a GPP upside guy and Isaiah Taylor. Uh, hard to use those guys outside of Dorsey. At shooting guard, Bazemore's down to 5,600 because he hasn't been good. I think this is a spot to use Bazemore. Get him while the price is getting lower and he's got 30-point upside. Chrissy Middleton at 78. Love Middleton here. Don't like the price, but you could you could use him and have a level of confidence. Maybe not as high a level as you'd want. Tone Snell, the worst fantasy player in the NBA. Shout out to Doug McDermott. 3500 for Tone Snell. That's You'd have to pay me that in legitimate cold hard cash, not just uh, Fangio's salary for me to want to use him. At Small Fort, Adedokumpo is at 11800 Yep, that's fine. We feel good about Yanni putting up big games pretty much every time he's out there. While formerly, the artist formerly known as Torian Prince, he's actually used to be a basketball player at one point, I believe, uh, has not been representing that at all lately, averaging just 15 points over the last five. Bad matchup. That is a stay away, but the ownership will be low. The salary is low. He's got 40-point upside in a tournament, multi-tournament lineup situation. Sure, why not? At power four, Jabari's at 4,400. Not interested in him with the minutes. Ursan Ilyasova or the Baptist. Uh, Ilyasova, no. John Collins at 5,100. There is upside there, but of course, that's a tournament-only spot. Starting at center will be Thon McCurr, who's at 3,700. He had 21 in the last start in 26 minutes. He's an upside sort of guy. Can hit some shots, can block some as well. Well, the undertaker, Dwayne Dedman... Monster game from him last time out. Totally fine with rolling with him in cash and tournaments. While Tyler Zeller, if you're going to throw Maker into a GPP, sorry, McCurr, then you should be looking at Zeller in a different lineup. $200 cheaper, the same ability to get you 20, 25 points. Remember, this is a very, very positive matchup as well uh, for these Milwaukee uh, guys, Milwaukee centers. I'm not sure if Zeller's going to have an opportunity to go against his uh, to go against his brethren, Miles Plumley, uh, who apparently will be out of the rotation. But it's always good to see Zeller's going up against Plumley. Who doesn't love Who doesn't love seeing a Zeller versus a Plumley? Not one person that watches the NBA can't be thrilled by that sort of a matchup. On DraftKings tournaments, I like McCurr and I like the Baptist at 47. And for cash, it's Yanni, it's Schroeder, it's Bledsoe, it's The Undertaker, it's Bazemore, and it's Tyler Zeller at 3,300. I think Tyler Zeller is actually a cash play on DraftKings, and that is a pretty sad state of affairs. 
Let's go on to the next game. Uh, we are looking at the Sacramento Kings and the Dallas Mavericks. Salah Mejri didn't play in the last game with a stiff neck. JJ Barea, Wes Matthews, and Dirk Nowitzki all missed last game. They're all probable to return. So it's going to be interesting to see how the Mavericks run things with their rotation. Do they start Barea and move Dwighty Powell to the bench? Uh, do they keep that smaller lineup or a bigger lineup and put Matthews at the two, uh, the pencil at the three, and Powell at the four? I don't know at this point. Dwight Powell has been crushing it, though, but that is going to be something for us to pay attention to. At point guard, Darren Fox at 6,000. Love it. Love it. Dennis Smith at 74. Also love it. If I'm choosing one of those, it's going to be Fox. I love the matchup for him against Smith and the fact that he's cheaper, but they're both in a good spot here, and I could totally use them and stack them in in tournaments. Berea at 56. Eh, no, no interest there. Yogi Ferrell, no way. Shooting guard, Wes Matthews, 5,700. Love the match matchup for Wesley. He's been playing fairly strongly. I like this situation for him while Bogdan's at 56, and I'm totally in on him for cash. I think that there is a strong floor, plus he's got 35, 40-point upside. Garrett Temple and Budrick Heald, no for either of those blokes. Pencil at 7,000, I think will leave Harrison Barnes. This is a good matchup for Barnsley. That price is probably a little bit too elevated on Fangio. If it was coming in at 6-2, then, uh, then I think that there'll be something there. Justin Jackson, Vince Carter, Doug McDirt, no. At power forward, Zebo, Zedbo, 6,700 for Zedbo. Um, the minutes are there, staggeringly. Um not sure I want to spend that sort of amount on him. Dirk at 6,000 is coming off an absolute huge game uh, not not that long ago. Not really thinking that's going to happen again. While Dwighty Powell at 6,700, the decision, Fangel has taken the decision out of your hands. You're not using Dwight Powell at 6,700. Corley Stein at 7,400 has been disappointing, but this is a good matchup. He's done well against Dallas in the past. You're looking at yeah, 40 point upside here pretty comfortably, so I do like it. Costa Kufos at 41, not a horrendous cash play, but also not the best on the board. Let's uh, flip this over to DraftKings. I like Smith Jr. at 73. Corley Stein at 59 is brilliant. Darren Fox at 63. And Bogdan's at 52, also a brilliant spot. Berea at 47, way more interested in JJ on DraftKings. I know my Fangio has got some nice tournament upside there for him also. Let's go into this last game now. Um... Who is it? It is the San Antonio Spurs, the only team that's on a back-to-back. They're traveling to Denver to take on the Denver Nuggets, of course. Uh, We don't have any word on what the Spurs are doing in terms of a back-to-back. I don't think that Manu Ginobili will play, and I also don't think Pau Gasol will play. So be prepared for a stack of Joffrey Laverne and Davis Bertans, a stack of Bryn Forbes, Brandon Paul, maybe some Matt Costello gets in there as well. Get ready for some weird shit going down. At point guard, DeJounte Murray's at 5,500. He's got a really good matchup against his namesake, the Blue Arrow, Jamal Murray. I like DeJounte here. Played big minutes in his first game back from the ankle injury. Put up 25 points. Totally fine to use him. Not locking him in as cash, but the matchup is a nice one. The altitude back-to-back thing might turn me off a lot of these guys, though, to be honest. At shooting guard, Dan Green, Devin Harris, Barton, Will Barton. Of course, Barton's the option there, 7,600, but really that price makes him more of a tournament sort of guy. Forbesy, Darren Hilliard, Brandon Paul. You could throw Bryn into a GPP uh, if guys rest, as I assume. Kyle Anderson at 6,000. I think that's fairly strong just as a solid cash guy with limited tournament upside. Uh, Babyneck, Wilson Chandler, 4,500. I think that's a tournament worthwhile. Look, he had a nice game in his last one, has been... 
as bad as almost anyone in the NBA prior to that. So not a strong recommendation. Love Davis Bertans. Um, even at 5,000, that's fine for cash. Great for tournaments. Trey Lyles at 56. I'd probably leave that uh, alone. At center, Joffrey's at minimum salary. I don't know that Powell's out. And I even think if Powell plays, his minutes will be limited. Aldridge is out. 3,500 for Joffrey. This is a 25-point opportunity for him. So I like it, but I wouldn't be just locking him into all my cash lumps because we don't know. It's me trying to take a guess that power will either be limited or sit, and I think that boosts Joffrey up. Nick Jokic at 9,400. The Spurs have been a trouble for big men all year, but no LaMarcus, no power. Does that somehow make it easier? I, I don't I don't know because they're not good defenders, but the Spurs continually restrict what big men can do. I think I'd be fading Nick Jokic here. Gasol at 6,000. No, no interest in that at all. Actually, I didn't talk about a few of the Nuggets guys. I should have. The Blue Arrow at 6,700. That's fade. Gaz Harris at 64. Nice, Gary! Um, again, it's the Spurs. So I'm going to say let's, uh, let's leave that alone. Don't know how I ended up missing those guys. Uh, on DraftKings, a little bit more there. Farton Will Barton at 66 is more is strong for cash. Bertans at 48 is good, and Lyles at 51 is a GPP guy. But most of these other players, I'm avoiding in this scenario. All right, let's go on to the other sites now. Rapidly go through those on Yahoo for tournaments. Westbrook, that's Russell. Bam Adebayo, the Baptist. JJ Barreo, Brea, Budrick Heald, Jeremy Grant, Alex Abrines. There's some tournament options for cash. Tyler Dorsey, Jetty Osman, Devin Harris, Costa Kufos, Thon McCurr, Georgie Hill, Davis Bertans, Bogdan Bogdanovich, Dwighty Powell, Kyle Anderson, De'Aaron Fox, The Undertaker, DeMar DeRozan, Chris Paul, and Carl Anthony Towns. On Moneyball, tournaments, Schroeder, Corley Stein, Adebayo, Nance, Georgie Hill, Babyneck, and for cash and tournaments, Osman, McCurr, Bertans, Kyle Anderson, De'Aaron Fox, The Undertaker, Wigo, Steve Adams, Dennis Smith, Eric Bledsoe, Chris Middleton, DeRozan, Towns, LeBron James, and Yanni Adedokumpo. And on Draft Stars for tournaments, Will Cauley-Stein, The Blue Arrow, Zedbo, The Undertaker, Wigo, The Baptist, Larry Nance Jr., Justin Jackson, Vincey Carter. And for cash, we've got Tyler Dorsey, Tyler Zeller, uh, Thon, Tyler McCurr, Tyler George Hill, DeJounte Murray, Bogdan Bogdanovich, Davis Bertans, The Pencil, Stephen Adams, Dennis Smith, Chris Middleton, and James Jimmy Harden. That wraps it up for us today. If you are listening to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, go do me a solid. Leave me a five-star review. It's the best way of supporting this podcast. You can also find it on Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and on Spotify, and of course, on YouTube. Give me a thumbs up. Give me a comment. Let me know what you think about the new opening animation by Michael Edelman, who has produced that for the show. Thank you again to Michael. And make sure you're checking out the rest of the Locked On Podcast Network. Go and follow along at Locked On NBA Net. And a bit of news regarding that, Locked On NBA, the day David Locke hosts. We're going to be expanding that to five days a week at some point in the coming times. And I'm actually going to be hosting that one day a week. I will host the Monday episode of Locked on NBA. So me doing some stuff that's not fantasy related and hosting a a national uh, NBA podcast, which I'm pretty happy about. So make sure you are checking out that show there uh, with myself on Mondays and and David. And uh, I think one other person hosting on some of the other days. Not sure how that's all breaking down at this point. All right, guys, we are done here, guys. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.
Joel Embiid.